You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is To Stir with Love, Tales from Prison with Rav Yitzchok Kolokowski. I'm Avram Kipolevich. Rav Yitzchok, uh, the program that seemed like it couldn't survive. <laughs> Most podcasts don't last more than 10 episodes. I don't know how many we've had, but I think quite a bit. Um, incredibly, two people that never even knew each other from different parts of the world, strewn together. Amazingly, we have a cult following. Um, I'm not sure if it's as big as the cult following for Plan 9 from outer space, <laughs> but I would say to stir with love has people that are deaf, that, that Talmud HaChomim and Choshava people, Askonim, are listening to us. And I got an a interesting piece of advice about our podcast this week, and I've already shared it with you, and I just want to make it official, that everything that we've done with Tayelis, uh the Jewish incarcerated and the prisoners and being Magala to the world, what it means to be in prison and, and the struggles to go, what it goes through to be a religious person um, uh, has been applauded and they said it's great. But they felt that we should expand our range that that there's the, the matzav of incarcerated individuals is part of a bigger, bigger issue, which we actually have dealt with uh, sporadically, which is the criminal criminal justice system in the United States of the way people are sent to prison, the way people are sentenced, what the types of deals that force people into prison that perhaps shouldn't be in prison, um, the prejudices that are um, rampant in terms of how sentencing is meted out. And therefore, uh, we're going to try, uh, as we sort of move into, like I guess, season two, uh, you know, to go from the tales from the actual behind the bars itself to maybe even dealing with and trying to get some more people involved here about sentencing and, 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 and things that happen before the person is actually sent uh, to places like Waymart. And I think you're on board with this and, and, and you're in agreement with this as well, correct? It's look. And, and, and not only I'm in agreement with it, I'm not any kind of renegade for being in agreement with that. That's the goal. We're the Department of Corrections, not the Department of uh, Punishment. We're not a Department of Torture or anything like that. And we would prefer to keep people out of prison. And, and really with COVID, there's been a tremendous, tremendous change in the way Prison has been handled all over the country. I mean, Waymart is one example that we're we're at half capacity, and we don't plan to ever go back to the full capacity. We plan to be, because of fears of overcrowding and so forth, to just focus on our mission. Really, at Waymart is, uh, and, and I'm not a spokesperson for Waymart. I'm not, but that's really it's there. I know the DOC is very proud of this that we're program oriented, particularly for the mental health units, the forensic treatment center, the uh, step down units, and so forth that are all dedicated to mental health treatment. And so, our plan, what we are told for now, is that we're going to utilize the space that we have for more space, uh, meaning we're 
we're not going to be full to the brim. Not that we were, you know, the reason why Waymart opened to begin with was to lessen overcrowding when there was the Camp Hill riots. We spoke about that before. So, but even, even with that being said, as, as in general, the prison population has dropped, we're going to focus on giving more room for the inmates to grow more or less. You know, I watch on YouTube, you know, some, one thing that I watch like kind of on the side, I know you're, you're a dog person. We, we, our landlord told us we're not allowed to have dogs or cats in our home that we're renting here uh, that I really should buy already, but I'm having a hard time. Um, how about, how about if, if, if mice show up, you can't bring a cat in? No, I, I, I we had some mice and I put some, uh, mouse traps and i managed to take care of them but i i what i i but me personally i have allergies i grew up with dogs and uh to a lesser extent with cats and i but i really would rather animals that I don't have any hair at all kind of like uh, snakes and lizards and things and i watch these these videos on youtube that talk about these different how to properly care for pet snakes and lizards and they spoke they speak often about how these reptiles people keep them in a five gallon tank a 10 gallon tank when they really need a 20 gallon tank or 30 gallon tank to really to really thrive and grow and and uh, be productive and successful and and i think you know not that i'm comparing uh making comparison to lizards or snakes i i could I'm just saying that uh, the all living are... all living things need they, expanse, yeah. and when you and when you constrict someone for the sake of constricting, you are really um, you are getting, as we know, as halachat zadchak, as the Mefarshim say, uh, forcing people into small spaces, as the Nazis did as well, as well as the Mitzrim was a way of dehumanizing people. But I, uh, but when we don't, I, want, I think we we're. Don't... And we don't want to dehumanize people. We want we our job is humanizing these people. Have been we recognize that these people have been dehumanized by society, and our job is really to rehumanize them. And and particularly we we're trying to only be taking care of the people who absolutely need to be there, that they really have no choice. It's not you know it's the the way that society at large has you know has dealt with them and whether they're suffering from mental illness and there's things that they can't. That's not in their control, but we're there to help them. It's really so, but, but a rehabilitative. So, so you, but what we need to do again, I know from your, uh, from where you have been involved, it's once they're here, what can we do? The question is also, should they even be here, and how and long? That, and, that, and, and how long should how long should they be here for? And maybe they are, they have been incorrectly um, assigned here. They have been sent here for long, longer time than they deserve. And these are things which, you know, we need to examine, uh, you know, and bring in. I think people, uh, people in the in the justice system, and I hope that in the weeks to come, we this the system our, our podcast uh, should grow, and we should incorporate people on that side. The people. And that's who are, what I'm saying. We're not we're not bringing in people as many people and as many inmates as we used to. We I understand only taking the ones that really absolutely need to be there. It's it, there has been tremendous. It's it's an unintended consequence of of the crisis, uh, you know, in reaction to COVID. It has been criminal justice reform, which which is something that's was being worked on, you know, leading up to that. But things really 
all the things that we wanted to do, essentially, that we, we, we didn't want to see ourselves at full capacity. We want to be able to pay more attention to the individual to really help them rehabilitate themselves. We're, we're doing that uh, in an incredible way. And, and on the other hand, the guys who are getting out early, I was just at, I, I guess we could discuss. Yeah, so let's, yeah, let's talk about this. I know what you're going to say. So let me just set the table for yeah. you. I know that um, you've spent um, uh, two exciting and very important days uh, with the Aleph uh, Institute's Northeastern um, uh, yearly conference, which just concluded and was held in Pittsburgh. And I know that you attended and um, so give us a, you know, we talked about the Aleph Institute here before about what they do in terms of ministering and helping uh, Jewish inmates. What were some of the things that you gained from that? Well, a lot of the discussion was the re-entry. They had, they had representatives from uh, the parole board and the, and the Department of Corrections and the new approach. My Zayd al-Vashalom was a Shermer Terror Mitzvah, and he was a parole officer. And I told the, the two people from the parole there, I said, oh, my grandfather was a parole officer. They were like, where? I said, in, in New York City, in Queens. They're like, oh, that's a different world. And, you know, this we're talking about, he passed away in 1997, and he retired uh, probably in the late 80s, early 90s. So, as uh, you know, he, he, he was, uh, he saw a different world than what we see today is what they were assuming, and they're saying, you know, they were describing re-entry, how as soon as an inmate, and I've seen this as well, as soon as an inmate comes to the prison and they have their orientation, one of the first things they're asked is, what's your plan when you get out of here? Meaning that right away, there's that light at the end of the tunnel that's presented to them. How, how are you, where are you going to go? Do you have a home plan? Do you have somewhere to go? You have a wife who will take you back after this. You have parents, you have children, you have brothers or sisters, you have any means to to support yourself, to keep a roof over your head. And one thing that they mentioned is, you know, again, we know right now with all of the uh, unemployment uh, benefits that have been given, it seemed again, I know, I don't mean to get into politics here, whether it's an intended consequence or an unintended consequence, that uh, a lot of people are not working and a lot of employers are not only looking to hire, but they're willing to pay more uh, and give all kinds of benefits and, and uh, bonuses, sign on bonuses, even just offering money just to come for an interview. I, I know some places are, are offering $50 to come for an interview, right? So and, this you're ta- so you, I guess you're saying to get a, a these are things that we need to stress to the to the people who are incarcerated that they're well, going to be able to get jobs when they leave. Oh yeah, uh, they're, they're all almost all of them. Even people who you would think would have no chance of getting a job, they're getting jobs and they're getting good jobs. You know that's one thing I hear from the inmates talking about. You know how they led a life of crime that they were supporting themselves in, in illicit ways. And one inmate told me, he said, you know, he's not, even though it was a criminal enterprise that he was in, you know, it was something that they didn't really seem to care that much what he was involved in, particularly as much as if his reaction to that was was violent and he, he got involved in something violent, engaging in, in, that, uh, in that business that he was in. And once that 
uh, you know, and that's why he was in prison because of the violence and not the, the general crime that he was doing. And he was talking about how he was thinking of doing something else when he gets out, but so he said, part- it, but he said, but he said, if he can't make as much money, he's going to go back to the criminal thing. But then <laughs> when we told we, I mentioned that to the parole board, and the parole board they said, you know, yeah, you have, we have to explain to these guys, you know, all right, so let's say you made fifty thousand dollars a year for three, four years, but then you went to prison for 10 years. So that waters down, uh, you know, whatever you made during those years, yeah, whatever it is, it's, it's even if they're making way more, but they're, it's coming down to much less on average because, because they're going to get caught blood. and go to prison. And therefore, whatever big money they made in illegal activities, they're taking a risk of imprisonment. So you're telling me that part of what the Aleph uh, Institute uh, was stressing to people like yourself and chaplains and other people that are working in prisons is to right away uh, um, to draw the the picture of the light at the end of the tunnel to 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 be encouraging and to give people even in the beginning of their uh, time of incarceration to give them a vision and idea of what they're doing when they're leaving as opposed to looking at them in this morose uh, maudlin way but to actually be positive and proactive in terms of everyone who's here is a temp and therefore, you know, unless they're here for, unless they're lifers for, for a long time, but they're basically temporary people. And and, and I, I assume that's part of what the Aleph Institute was stressing was, you know, you're going to hopefully get paroled. You're going to be on good behavior. Let's talk about your life afterwards. And let's talk about all the options that are going to be open for you. Am, am I getting it right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And um and I know, obviously, you know, you've talked about uh, the camaraderie that that happens between you and all the other religious uh, officials and uh, people of various religions. I'm sure it was in, in definitely amplified by the fact that this was uh, mostly Jewish people, right? That was mostly uh, chaplains and other uh, volunteers and other um, Jewish uh Men like yourself who have who have dedicated yourselves to 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 this vocation. So I'm sure it meant a lot seeing people dealing with the same uh, some of the same issues that you have, right? Just just uh, I know that when I you know I'm a, a maggot cheer for deer shoe, and of course I don't know if they're going to have the big giant conventions anymore. But I can tell you when I would go to the convention and meet other magide shear and and we would you know just talk shop, it was just an incredible physic for me for many many weeks afterwards. Um, did you experience that as well, meeting other uh, Jewish chaplains up in uh, Pittsburgh? Yeah, I, I, I've known some of them from from past years, and you know, they're they're certainly colleagues that that I'm happy to to have a, a relationship with in general. And there was others that I had only emailed in the past, but never met in person. So that was a pleasant thing to to get to know some of these folks uh, in person. But then additionally, we also had, you know, the representatives from the state who, you know, they're not Jewish and, you know, to express whatever concerns that we have on the state level. But me being, you know, the lone full-time Jewish chaplain in the DOC, I kind of, you know, have a status there that is a little different, meaning they're, uh-huh. they're looking at me that, 
you know, I'm I'm a I, I'm a little bit in both worlds. You know, I'm I you know I'm on one hand I'm I'm a fellow rabbi and a fellow chaplain, but I'm also an FCP or a CPD. Used to be FCPD. They changed the title, and that's that was something you know that really and also that you know that most of them were Lubavitchers. One was a a from person who who has a conservative steller. And uh, it was also a chaplain in, in, you know, in one of the prisons. And then, so tell know, me, to tell me the, 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 the I, 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 you know, from you what know, I, I gather, there was somebody from the state. There was, there was a not, there was a non-Jewish person from the state who was, who was talking to you about um, someone not from the state. It was actually some. Uh, let me, let me correct that. There was somebody who used to work in the federal system, right? That was uh, uh, well, one of the one of the speakers there, right? There was a. Not used to work in the federal system. There was a federal magistrate. Okay. Uh, and she she had an interesting story how when she was being sworn in as a federal judge after being a, a lawyer and a judge for a long time and a very nice person, you know, you don't you think of these judges, you think of, you know, Judge Judge Judy or something, you know, where they're you know rough around the edges and things. And this was just such a nice person. And I think that's part of the being outside of the new york city area it's a little different world but uh she she um she spoke about again about this uh, reintegrating people into the prison system but that she had a funny story that when she was being sworn in they couldn't find a bible to swear her in so the rabbi from chabad who's the head of the olive institute and he's been serving in this capacity for well over 30 years, maybe longer. Uh, he he was there at, at her swearing-in ceremony and he took his phone that had a chumash on it. And so she was sworn in on, on his on his cell phone. I see. Uh, it, it was, I'm surprised he didn't have a chitas in his pocket. That's surprising. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you can't swear in on a chitas. A chitas is, is too high. It's too. It's ratio the is yada. It's impossible. It's already. It's already even higher than a safer Torah. Possibly, who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's definitely. So it's nice, obviously, to have somebody who represents. Um, it isn't just you know uh, a gaggle of people who, who are from the, the Yiddish Welt. It's good to be able to be recognized and to hear, and to you know the to, to, to be able to, to to say to speak the the issues. That need to be spoken and to hear and to learn and i'm sure that was something that was important you mentioned conservative and reform rabbis were there too as well i'm going to take a a, a guess that there was that there was also ex talk of 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 equality and, and speaking about racial justice uh, i'm sure that that took was that that probably was something that was stressed as well at this convention right yeah it came up several times um, and was it just we? What do you? What did the? You know what, what was was considered the the mandate? Um, well, one, you know, there was you know because there was a lot of discussion about people who are incarcerated for nonviolent drug offenses, and then but then they said, well, you know, they're seeing a lot less of that than they used to. There there has been a change in that approach, but then you have. Where the more dangerous drug offenses, the opioid epidemic. And one thing that this magistrate mentioned was that, you know, in the past, there was this racial issue, you know, where, you know, you would have 
you know, an, a, a lot of African Americans who were locked up for marijuana charges, and where, you know, just as many white people were using it and not getting locked up, and it was it, there really was a racial uh, imbalance issue there, and an imbalance, and a, and a, and it would would seem to be intentional. As opposed to now, you're, they're not locking people up on marijuana charges anymore, but there is this the opioid epidemic which hits everybody. And she said she saw it doesn't matter black, white, men, women, young, old. She sees everybody, and it, and it's a very dangerous situation. It's not you know, it, it's not the exaggerated reefer madness uh, type of thing. It's a it's an actual very deadly deadly situation with uh, with fentanyl and 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 heroin and these other opioids that that are killing people and that that's much more serious and that they can't they can't just be libertarian about that because yeah, it's, they, it's, I, you know, again, it's it's i think it's out of our uh, area of discussion but i think of course that this really has to go into the medical field in terms of coming up with other ways to deal with pain management. I think right. what, it, what the opioid addiction occurs because a person, you know, breaks an ankle, breaks a leg, uh, whatever it is, is dealing with some chronic pain and the doctors, you know, prescribe Percocet or something like that, which, uh, or, you know, or, or some other very strong opioid in, induced drug. And then the person getting over the pain, um, you know, gets hooked on it. And um, the lasting pain that they have, this gives such a salve to the pain that this is what they keep on taking. And then, of course, um, they can't stop taking it. And well, there's, two, there's two sides to that, because there, there are the addictions that develop because of the wrong use in the medical. I think it's wrong in certain senses that when people are given this and there are alternatives and they're pushed unnecessarily, but then because of that, then you have the, the other side of the coin where people are, doctors are afraid to, uh, to give the, the opioids when they're appropriate. And then people out of desperation, and they were never introduced to it before, but out of that desperation, they wind up uh, going to the street to find these drugs because they have nowhere else to go. So in other words, the doctors would parcel them out in doses that would be manageable and not lead to addiction. That would be one thing, but they're not. So uh, it's almost the opposite phenomena that I was talking about. It, it, well, but both are true. It's a catch twenty two. People are caught either one way or the other, and it's 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 really unfortunate how the whole thing, because it's it, it, there's really no answer to this because it's it's such a difficult uh, tightrope to walk because how do you, how do you figure out how to, you know, how to give the appropriate dosage uh, when it's needed? And, 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 you know, this really goes back into the scientific question about how do we even measure pain? You know, right. say how painful is it from a scale to one to 10? You know, it would seem that advancements in brain science are called on uh, to be able to work out a way to say, okay, we can sense how much pain is going on, the synapses or whatever it is that are giving off this, the, these, these indicators are strong enough for us to recognize that the pain is so severe that what's called for is, is this type of opioid. But if it's not, we have to use other methods to toughen people up or to give them some way uh, to push their way through, especially... I mean, I 
I, I know I know Ingerman who told me that he was he was in an accident and he was living in in Denver or well in Colorado uh, around now it's uh, you know it's been Colorado was one of the first states to legalize marijuana recreational marijuana but even before that this was before that time that it was it was legal for medical use and he was given two options he was given either the option of uh, of medical marijuana or uh, a strong opioid and he said there's no question he's going to take the marijuana because the the opioid is addictive and the marijuana is not and but then because he was he was a civilian working on a uh, on a military base he was not able to uh, live on the base anymore he had to find a new place to live because it was it's still a it's still federally illegal so the, you know there's all these complications that come up in the world um, but but the the positive thing that we're really getting off the subject here but the positive thing is that we really don't see any more um, as much maybe it still exists in a certain sense and of course there's still the residual effects of this uh, of of the you know the way that that a lot of this was handled through the years that people are still suffering and 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 I've heard people who you know over over the years generally would be considered politically on the right discuss this I remember just I, I happened to be flipping through channels and I saw the 700 club and it was Pat Robertson was talking this was years ago it was at least 10 12 years ago he was talking about you know how wrong it is in society that you have you know, people who's, you know, are locked up for years for marijuana offense. And he was at the time already advocating some kind of decriminalization or something just out of mercy for these mostly African-Americans who uh, young African-American men who are suffering because of, of this real actual, you know, I would agree it's an injustice the way that was handled through the years. And it's, but it's, it's, it has changed, you know, and, and we're, we're seeing changes in that. And I'm not a, I'm not an advocate of, of marijuana use. I think it's a foolish, stupid thing, but just not everything that's foolish or stupid has to be illegal. And certainly not everything that's illegal has to lead to a multiple year uh, prison sentence. It's, it's just. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I think that we're off to a, a good start, at least even in, in these statements that we're making, and hopefully we're going to expand on them in the future. I had an idea of just something to talk about for the last couple of minutes here. Um, and it's something that, that struck me. And um, I was thinking back uh, the other day um, when I was um uh, somebody was actually questioning me about uh, my uh, my illness that uh, uh, when I was uh, taken ill in Houston by myself, and um, I had MRSA, and it resulted in shchin, uh, and I needed uh, I was hospitalized at Methodist Hospital, and in Houston, um, and I was put into a um, a ward where everyone was wearing hazmat suits and my wife was not able to get a flight. It was uh, Thanksgiving time and she wasn't able to get a flight from New York. And I was looking at uh, pretty uh, severe surgery. Uh, And uh, I remember that, uh, I don't know, I guess they could tell from my, my, my attitude 
they that 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 I needed something, and they sent somebody uh, to pray with me. the The Methodist hospital, the, the rabbi, you know, uh, <laughs> there was no rabbonim coming uh, from Houston, although there are rabbis in Houston, very wonderful rabbis. But the hospital had on staff a, a Baptist minister and an African American gentleman, and he came into my room. And of course, I was thinking very deeply about this because, you know, Shechin from the Makis of Mitzrayim, um, the fact that I would be, uh, I would have to go under the knife and I would have to, be, I, 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 I would have had to, you know, I had very, you know, very uh, anesthesia and the knife and they were explaining to me, you know, this was going to be a very long recovery and this was not a simple situation. My white blood count was, was so high. So I was the situation there, the closest I guess I've been to death really. Uh, at that time, and uh, you know, because they said we have to operate soon, otherwise, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, the poisons will kill you. And um, you know, this was something that I was facing as a rabbi and as a mashkiach at the yeshiva. And they sent in a person to to talk with me. And I remember that um, you know it was this idea of us praying together. And even though there was obviously a big chasm between us in terms of religion about who our God was in some ways, but it, it meant something that uh, this person wanted to pray with me. Uh, he wanted to come to me and, and, and offer his prayers. And he asked me, and I was thinking about that, that moment. And I was thinking about you, Yitzchak, afterwards, because I was thinking this must happen to you often, that you are sent to someone who was in a Shas Tsar, Shas Tzora, uh, to pray. And you've talked eloquently and, you know, sometimes erratically, but interestingly about all the, the situations of prayer in Yonim and Minyonim and, and, uh, and, 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 and things that you've tried to get set up, masses and Minyonim and, and, you know, whether it's from Wiccans or whatever's going on and how you, or, or Lenape's Indians and, and how all the different services but I'm talking really much more intimately here where someone is in the, you know, he's in the foxhole and he needs someone to pray with. He needs someone to help him pray or to pray with him. So maybe, you know, and I, I thought, I'm, I'm sure Yitzchak has been in that situation before. Uh, so don't disappoint me on this. <laughs> well, the other day we set up that you asked me to make a role play as, as if I'm, hiring you as a CEO or a chaplain or something, why, why don't we have the role play? You're, you're approaching me, uh, asking okay. me. Okay. All right. So I'll do it. Okay, good. Uh, you know, you, I throw me a curve. Okay. Is. But I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a Jewish fellow, right? I'm, no, um, no. okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I am, um, you know, I'm, um, uh, a Baptist Southern boy and I've been, um, um, cause I am from Memphis. I know all that. So I'll do that. I'll say, okay. Um, Yo, I want to speak to the chaplain. Yes, I, yes, need, I need to speak to the chaplain because I have a bad chaplain. I, I really need it. I, I need to pray to God. And, and, and I want to pray because, because things have been bad for me and things have been really bad. Bad in my head, bad in my heart. I'm not just thinking about what I did wrong before. I'm thinking about the way things are here. It really is very, very bad for me. And I didn't always go to church, but my mom and daddy, they did take me. I didn't always listen, but I was there. 
and, and, and I heard about it, and, and I know that Jesus does love me. I know Jesus does care for me, but I know in my heart I've been a, a sinner, and I've been a sinner in my heart and my actions, and even here. So I really want you to come and, and, and help me, help me give the words so I can pray to Jesus in the right way. Did, 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 my friend, did you have any recent trauma? Did, did something happen recently to you here or out on the street that, that you need, that you particularly have in mind that, that really needs uh, to go into the prayer closet now and, and be, be worked on? No, you know, one of the other fellas over here, I, I thought he was my friend and he, he looked at me, you know, and he said, you know, you, you worthless white trash, you, you know, you, you know, I know what you did. I know why you're in here and you're still the same thing. You, you're never going to be anything. Your parents are probably happy you're, you're here. And when I heard that, it really, you know, it was like a knife went right into my heart. I said, maybe he's right. So, so help me pray. Help me well, pray, Rabbi Joe. Help me. Help me. Help uh, me. Because you know, you know the words. I, I want to talk to Jesus. Help me out. Well, I, I want, first, you have to know you're not worthless. You're very worthful. You're very worthy. You're worthy in God's eyes. You're a child of God. And you can talk to God and we can talk together. God. You're a holy man. You're a holy man, Rabbi. You are holy. I see it. I see the way you talk to everybody. I see, you know, you're a holy man. I saw you when you were with all the Jewish people there and you wore that hat. And I knew this, this man was holy. I could see it. So well, you can maybe help me. Give you're, me you're holy words. Too, but let, you're holy too, but we can work together. So let's, 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 let's bow our heads in prayer right now. So, so, what can All I right. say? Can you well, give me well, the words? What can I say? Just listen to me and we'll and I'm gonna pray over you. Almighty Father in heaven, please look down on your son here who is in a, a state of sorrow and brokenness. We know it's written in your scriptures that that the broken heart is never cast away and that the and that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And it's with that brokenness and contriteness that we come before you in prayer and supplication. We recognize all of our faults and we ask, Lord, have mercy on us for I am a sinner and we have all sinned before you, but we know that your mercy is great and your love is eternal and infinite. Please, open his, heart, please open his heart to see that he is worthy and that you love him. Please show him your love and your grace upon him. Please may he recognize how treasured he is to those who are his true friends and even know that the one that hurt his feelings right now, he himself- He really hurt person. my feelings. He, he, he was almost like was my daddy when my daddy used to get mad at me. He would also call me like I was worthless. He said that I didn't, sometimes he was so, he, he sometimes regretted that, that I even came into this world. Well. You know, God God put you in this world, so God does not regret that you're here. So let's continue praying. Please open our hearts and eyes to see that this other person is also broken. And to be able to, to have grace upon him as well and, and, and extend forgiveness, to be able to move on and not allow that pain and that trauma 
to prevent us from growth, but rather be an impetus to growth. Please open our, our hearts and our minds to recognize your love uh, for all of us and each and every one of us and recognize the value that we all have. Please heal our broken hearts and, and let us be light in the place of darkness and let us see healing, happiness, growth, and, and true joy that comes after such a darkness. Almighty Father in heaven, answer us as we call upon you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart find favor before you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let us say amen. Amen. Amen, Rabbi. Amen. Amen, Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Well, that was that was quite moving there. I was uh, so uh, I, I think anybody anybody was listening to this. I don't know if we're going to win any awards for this. Uh. <laughs> no, but it has to be real. It's not. Uh, you know, yes. I'm not putting on a show, and 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 there is there's siyata deshmaya that happens at these times. It happens a lot. So basically, even though you're talking about someone who was raised as a Christian and wants you to to pray to Jesus, you're able, like in this situation, which I'm sure has happened to you before. I don't know if it was a Southern Baptist boy, but it was definitely somebody who who wanted to call out to Jesus. And you you didn't say to him like, "I don't believe in Jesus," but you could pray to my God. What you did was you you deflate you you basically you know uh, deflate you know deflated the, the 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 issue by telling us that there is one big loving God, whether you call him Jesus or or, or the Rebbeinu right? I mean, that's basically. You know, without getting into the theological aspect of yeah, it, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not there to to teach theology at that time. There are other times when that is the time and the place, and you have to know. You know that that's a problem. I think a lot of people have. They're not able to compartmentalize and and look beyond. You know, and look what's really necessary. And, and another part that I brought up was to one thing because this is not only a prayer, but it's also a type of a counseling session uh, in the realm of prayer. And one thing about counseling and ministering in general is to be trauma-informed is very important, to know where are they coming from, why are they in this place. And so to get that information of mm-hmm. that, you know, of how, what, what traumatic experiences, whether recently or in the past, are affecting this person is incredibly central to any type of effective ministry. Yeah, I, I think you did a great job. In other words, and you did it in a way where you didn't just you didn't like you weren't cold like the psychologist who says, "Oh, let me hear why is it that uh, you are having this feeling, right?" You, you know, you, you did it in a compassionate way. You were able to extract information from him as to why you know what was the what was the trauma that caused his his pain. At the same time, uh, urging him on uh, to to join you in that ideal. So I think that was well done, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you know, it's a type of thing that we we deal with and, and we, we minister not just only to the, the inmates, but to the staff. I've, you know, I remember going to a, and there, there is a, you know, there is a difficulty being, you know, being from a different religious background. It, it, it does sometimes, you know, have a certain, you know, type of discomfort of how do you address these issues? Because I was, I remember being at a, an audit of, uh,
So I recall uh, being at a, a, a audit of another prison's uh, chaplaincy program. That's something that we tend to do with, although with COVID, we didn't do that this year or last year, but in general, once a year, I'll go to another prison just to see how they, uh, to audit them, to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and, to get, and then, you know, at the end of that, there's a little meeting with the warden there that we call, we call the superintendent and, and some of the other executive staff and people from the central office. And they're always, you know, just talking about how great everybody did on the audit, even when sometimes it's not that great, but we tend to be <laughs> giving praise uh, regardless. And I remember one time one of the wardens talking about how the chaplain prayed with him when he was at a time of need and it was a difficult time and, and how much he appreciated that. And I was reflecting on that, like I kind of felt, I felt a little... Uh, you know, it was Makana a little bit that he was able to do that because I don't know if I would be welcome to do that because I'm of a different faith. Would that be uncomfortable? It's one thing that I'm in a situation where I'm dealing with someone who I have some authority over, whether it's an inmate, obviously I have authority over the inmates, but even a correctional officer or another member of the staff that is in lower seniority than me, but when if it's a supervisor and it's a person of another faith, I, I don't know if I could get away with praying with him or even in a, a public setting, like, you know, if we have some kind of a program for, we did for Memorial Day the other, you know, the other day and they asked me to say a few words of encouragement. It was very general, but it was spiritual. Yes, available on YouTube. Check out yeah. uh, Rabbi Kolakowski's <laughs> Rabbi Kolakowski's YouTube page. You will find this very, yeah. very uh, strongly, uh, uh, strongly worded and in a very positive way. Yeah, strongly worded. Yeah, but, the... but I, I don't, I don't know if I could sit and pray with with my supervisors. And I had a Jewish supervisor until recently he retired and I, I certainly don't think I could pray with him because even though he's a Yid who was born in Haifa and uh, you know he still he he identified I think more with uh, Buddhism or Hinduism than than with Yiddishkeit he had some you know nominal affiliation with the Reformed Temple but I I think it would probably maybe even offend him if I tried to pray with him or you know i don't i don't want him to feel like i'm trying to encourage him you know try to put filling on him or something you know it's not like but even to pray in in that way that i would pray with a non-jew i don't think i could pray with him in the same way as i could pray with we do have a few ceos who are jewish and and, and with them i feel you know that there's actually one who puts on filling every day and he learns Gemara a little bit he's not shomer shabbos but he you know him i could i could daven with him and i could minister to him but i don't think i couldn't really i i yeah. don't feel that i could do that with my supervisors so I, was, I was so it is sort of a it, it is somewhat of a tricky uh road to walk when it is that you are able to you know to you know obviously when you're when you can push the situation you can turn it into a uh, an effective power of a type of prayer that doesn't necessarily get you into an issue of shame uh, uh, being masker shame uh, Whereas, you know, where you're in a situation where you, you can't just, uh, you know, uh, do that 
all the time, and I'm sure it does get sticky. And of course, this is, you know, various ministers and rabbis, you know, rabbis who have to, you know, you know, go into uh, uh, prayer meetings. Uh... So yes, have... so we had a little interruption there for a minute. So what what were you saying? I was saying I had a little bit of like concern for him that this other chaplain was able to to pray with his supervisors. Meaning, I, I often pray both with the with the inmates and with the staff who are you know of right. You mentioned even if they're older people than me, even even the the uh, maybe not praying as much, but the, I know the, the the priests who are my parents' age ask me for advice and and you know for my my opinions on different things. Uh, how the, how to to operate, but as far yeah. as you know, I'm I'm Makana that he's able to pray with the supervisors. I don't think I don't think I could do that in that in that fashion. And I I but it's you know I, what I would say Yitzchak honestly is that there probably is you could probably get a hayroa about a nusach that could work. We know even in the time of the Achreinim, the Neidah Yehuda and others, that they came up with Nuschoyas of Tfilis. I know the, the, the Zarina or whatever it was, one of the, the Grand Duchess uh, wanted, you know, he composed a prayer uh, for them. I, I think there's got to be a way to do it. And even if you have the person, you know, begging for Jesus, there's got to be a way that you're going to be able to, to do this. And I think there's probably a, there's probably a halachic way uh, yeah. to manage it, especially, you know, it, it, again, it's not just a question of you losing your job. It's also probably an Indian of Kiddush Hashem as well. I know that you, um, and I think that that's... I, I, I mean, I, I don't th- I don't think they're looking for for Nusach, though. I think I think when, we, especially when you're dealing with with a uh, Baptist or born-again Protestant, right. something... That, right, you, you, the, they're the, extemporaneous it's... speakers and extemporaneous prayers. They're not, they're not no, granted, granted, but again, at least you could get hadracha, and you could you could probably discover in these uh, articles, in, in these documents, a method for your extemporaneous prayers in a way that uh, you can be yoitze, you know, both. You know, you, again, you don't want to be over, you know, uh, isurim of being gayer more uh, haskaras of Yeshu anoitzri more than more than needs to be. Of course, I, I, of course. Must have done it about you know twenty five yeah, times I was, today. I was a little, a little shocked by that, but <laughs> I was acting, as John Lovitz would say, acting, acting. acting. <laughs> I think John Lovitz would have been proud of my little shtick arrived. Speaking about acting and speaking about things, you know, you know, it, it, it strikes me when we talk about you know getting together to pray. Normally, you know, when you think about it in a, a cinematic context, it, it, in many ways is portrayed negatively. Um, and, and I think you know this has to do a little bit with Hollywood's discomfort with the whole idea of actually religious prayer and, and, and God being in any film in, in any real way. Now, that's, that, now we know that there is um, you know, Bruce Almighty and Oh God, where you know, they actually you know, pushed sort of an idea of God that I guess was palatable you know, and you had Morgan Freeman, of course, and and, um, and George Burns, uh, you know, being God, as it were. And I think people were, you know, most people were okay with it. But I think normally, you know, that's, I think, the exception that proves the rule. Mostly, I think, in films that both you and I are familiar with, 
know, it's almost like wishing is, is, is standard. You know, you have, um, you know, I'll take one that um, many people love, uh, Tom Hanks's uh, breakout film in many ways, Big. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I'm sure your wife has, uh, directed by uh, Penny Marshall. And uh, she's not Jewish, but she could be. <laughs> Laverne, I think, right? I, I don't know if she's Laverne or Shirley. She's one of the two. But anyway. I always thought she was Jewish. She seems so Jewish. Yeah, I told, you she, I told you she could be Jewish. She's not. Her and her brother, Gary. Gary, of course, is a director um, right. uh, of, of Runway Bride and, and, and many other, right. uh, you know. So Gary Marshall, uh, his name was Marshak. I think they were Polish or something, Armenian. They're very close to being Jewish, both of them. They could both get away with playing Jews, I think. But Penny Marshall was the director of Big. Uh, and as you know, in the film, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, when he realizes that you know the girl at school considers him you know too young and too immature and too short, and uh, as much as he has his friends, he wants to be older, and he wishes he was big. Of course, the where he does this is not just you know wishing in some you know uh, some alcove. He wishes to be big, and when he goes to an amusement park, and there's some sort of um, you know creepy type of um, one of these creepy type of uh, I'm not sure what you would call it. You 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 get a ticket, and you know it gives you your fortune, and it's some sort of you know some sort of demon, demonic type wizard uh, that somehow grants his wish. Uh, and of course, he realizes what it's like to be big, and um, you know he becomes an adult overnight. It does a great job, Tom Hanks, really being a an adult, being a child in an adult's body, and everybody praised his his acting ability, his comedic chops, and etc. However. Um, you know, it's not a prayer. Uh, e even, you know, let's talk about the, the, one of the most famous <laughs> wishes <laughs> in cinematic history, uh, Pinocchio, right, from Walt Disney. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly <laughs> how Pinocchio has enough life to, to be able to wish, but somehow he does wish, right? And as Jiminy Cricket uh, tells him he can wish upon a star, right? And he wishes upon a star. He basically, you know, wishes to some Avodazara, and he, you know, and, and and he sort of becomes almost a, 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 a real boy, right? So you know, Hollywood was somehow is happy with this, and of course, there's probably about 900 Twilight Zone Twilight Zone episodes where somebody wishes for something to happen, and you know, Mickey Rooney wishes that or something happens, and then he grows so big that he that that he that he falls over from from the giant height that he has, or somebody else wishes, right? Um, so but idea of prayer is is is, is very conspicuously absent, right? You know, it's like the idea of actually praying. It almost feels, Yitzchak, that the people who pray are are are, are strange and are, are, are and are out there. And Hollywood was was ashamed of that. Um, you know, I I don't know if you know I, I don't know. I think Anthony Hopkins in his Nixon portrayal. Uh, I think there is a scene where he's praying with Henry Kissinger. You're aware, of course, about this idea that that Nixon was praying right before um, the impeachment uh, might have vote. Did you hear about that once? Yes, yes, yes. And supposedly he got on his knees. Henry, get on your knees, and we're going to pray together. Um, yeah. 
so you know uh, similarly you know we we I, I i with your wife uh, a couple of weeks ago i talked about the mary tyler moore show and you know the only character i think that i ever saw pray rhoda doesn't daven over there but the right. one who prays is ted you know right. ted who's considered the foolish childish cheap um inappropriate person uh when murray uh has a fight with his wife and and murray uh sleeps at ted's house uh ted prays before he goes to sleep so and, and it's it, it, he's made fun of he's considered infantile and, and childlike the idea that he's that he should pray um and and again you know we talked in a previous episode about people uh talking to santa claus you know um i mentioned miracle on 34th street i think that time and you know natalie wood did such a great job um praying but she's actually wishing and hoping that santa you know and she becomes dismayed because she's a cynical little girl you know you know uh you know she's margaret o'hara's daughter and and and, and i think john payne i think is, uh, is 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 the love interest but you know she's the little girl the little smart girl and she's wishing to santa uh, we're afraid here to you know to to to, to refer to it as a prayer uh, natalie would of course in, in a later role um when she plays uh, Louise, uh, later to become the famous uh, <laughs> a burlesque stripper, Gypsy Rose Lee, in the in the movie version of of, uh, of Gypsy, uh, she also has a wonderful scene, Natalie Wood, where she's wondering she's it's her birthday, and everybody has Rachmanis on her, and and they give her a little fish for her birthday or they give her a little lamb and she says i wish i wish i hope i'll get my wish right wishing is great but praying davening finding a god to connect to somehow that that hollywood was, was extremely uh, anxious about that right except except i i guess only the horror films might be a little bit different right that that that's it, it it's a fascinating thing how there is it's not always prayer in the way that we would think of it. Sometimes there is that element, but there is certainly a much more of a comfort with religious elements in in the horror films. Although there, there was backlash on those as well, always. But you know, it, I, I think it goes back. Maybe might disagree, but I think part of this really goes back to even the Renaissance or medieval times. If you, you notice Shakespeare, you had no issue using like the real old fashioned of pagan of Vertizara. You know, all, you know, a lot of, first of all, a lot of the characters were pagan, you know, King Lear or whatever, they were from the pagan era. But as far as the, what I understand was the reason for that was because it was taboo. The, the, the clergy would be upset if you're going to make reference to 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 you know anything that they actually worship in in their traditions i'm not sure if that's well, listen, what you're saying is probably accurate to about elizabethan times and what shakespeare had to deal with it didn't seem to me that the 20th century jewish moguls that were producing the films well, in think, hollywood I think, were, I think they were afraid that they're going to be accused of blasphemy because it's not just their own cynicism about religion and prayer as much as that they're because you know they they weren't they were not christians they were they were mostly jews uh, they might be accused of you know when however they're approaching it of something that is you know uh, offensive in some form because of that and so they 
it winds up, you know, you didn't have the cynicism as much though earlier on as you did later. There was this I, you know, there was this wholesome church going idea. You know, when you're talking about 1970s already and Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore show, that that was already an era when you know people were were not as you know it was in the 60s and 70s people yeah. you're were, right were i i lived that era and you're right being religious then was considered somewhat odd but i think even in the 20s and 30s you know we talk about the horror 20s films and 30s also was was a time that, there was a rise of spiritualism yeah. but actually a decline in organized religion yeah and, and the there was and there was everybody people wanted to connect to the dead you know arthur conan doyle was very into uh seances and things like that um and and and, uh, and houdini who grew up uh, you know with a father was a right. rabbi of some some sort right, so, right so these were these were like again you know <clears throat> like I think houdini like, even put on spillin every day but he was very you know he was very involved with with seances and right so this spiritualism was taking the place you know b- you know before the, the world wars or in between the world wars uh, of, of of organized religion and and somehow that I think is what Hollywood was was more comfortable with, you know I, I saw a, a film, you know you know one of the films I've I've tried to get you to watch is Elmer Gantry I've mentioned it before and of course there you have um, you know a, a faith healer uh, you know played by incredibly by Gene Simmons who you know starts believing in her own powers of prayer, um, you know Burke Lancaster plays obviously a uh, he plays Elmer Gantry who's who's quite cynical, but, you know, is, is, is basically, you know, going along for the ride. He, he, he himself has an inner connection to prayer because he, it's got an energy and excitement that he likes the church and the singing, but, you know, there's a hollowness on his inside. Whereas in the Gene Simmons character, uh, she actually, Sharon Falconer, she believes that she actually is an agent of God. And there are a number of scenes where, um, you know, she actually at the revival meeting, where she is praying and she prays over someone and she's able to heal somebody. Uh, and the person is no longer a crippled. He was able to walk now because of her. And however, you know, you deal with these phenomena, um, you know, again, the film, you know, it, 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 you know Richard Brooks, who, who directed the film, it really is a, 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 it really is something to think about because in Hollywood, at the, even in, that was 1960, um, but, it, you know, was, was sort of like, uh, we're not sure exactly what we're going to present here. Uh, the church, of course, banned the film in, in many places uh, because of its cynicism towards religion. Um, you know, I, I saw another film about, which I was very surprised about. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you a couple uh, in a, a previous conversation. Uh, I think you knew about it. Uh, it was one of Catherine Hepburn's early films called Spitfire, uh-huh. where she... Uh, she plays a backwoods uh, Ozarks girl, or uh, somewhere in Tennessee, and and the the TVA, you know, Roosevelt's TVA is building a dam near there, and they're hiring some of these backwoods people and giving them jobs. But in the backwoods, there's this girl, and it's based on a play um, written by a woman, um, and 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 Catherine Hepburn. This is 1934. Uh, she is able. You know, they consider her a wild hillbilly girl, 
and um, she has a hard time keeping that southern accent out of her <laughs> out of her northeast uh, you know where she came from but the um, Atlantic accent yeah yeah but it, it, again she keeps I, I don't know if it's the south her accent is was only mildly I think worse than mine before <laughs> no you, you did a good job that was it yeah. was too good yeah but anyway um yeah I was better than Kate but Kate but Kate in in this role you know she was young um, she was in her in her twenties, I think, when she made this, and she she's she's supposed to be playing an eighteen year old girl who is a a spiritual dynamo, who even though you know she's a you know, she's unlearned, but somehow her prayers work, and somehow she has these cards that she stole from the church, these 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 cards with images of 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 of, of uh, the Christian imagery that she's able to read. I we gotta we gotta pause r-o-l sorry about that so you know in this you know so she she prays for people and and even though she's this wild hillbilly girl that everybody thinks is is strange she throws rocks at people she has a black cat and she brings people back people who were in a coma she's able to bring them back from their coma and now that they're and they're able to and, and of course the backwoods people consider her a witch they consider her someone who's who's, who's somehow commiserating with the devil. But really, in, in in a lot of soliloquies, Catherine Hepburn speaks to God. She speaks to Jesus, and she 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 understands things. In fact, the one place where her prayer doesn't work, she's there's a baby that she's nursing that she 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 steals from the backwoods couple that's letting the baby die, and she steals the baby and she she brings she nurses the baby to health. But when the baby is taken back to the parents, the baby gets ill again and she is put on the spot. Will she be able to pray and save the baby? And she's not able to. And she says in a, an incredibly deep, in my mind, uh, this, uh, explanation of why she couldn't save the baby. And she said, because I was on trial then and I was praying for myself. I wasn't just praying for the child. If I would have it would have been totally wishma, then God would have heard my prayers and it could have worked. But because I was praying to prove myself, therefore there was something wrong with the prayer. And to me, you know, and again, the film also starts with some, you know, warning from the producers that, you know, maybe there's something that we can gain from, you know, this world of religion, you know, even though, you know, many people make fun of it. And, and, and Ralph Bellamy and Robert Young are sort of like a triangle. They both have an interest in her. Um, and Ralph Bellamy specifically always plays a nice guy. Um, right. And I think you, you, you're definitely a Ralph Bellamy fan, right? Wasn't he in the front page? Isn't he Isn't he one of your favorite in, Marazin Russell movies? Yeah, he was, he, His Girl Friday. He was in His Girl Friday. He was also in The Wolfman. Oh, he was in Wolfman too, I hear. So Ralph Bellamy plays the guy who recognizes the spiritual... Um, uh, essence of this woman of and and what this could mean anyway i i guess like i said i i i, I it, it it strikes me um that that the idea the only place you're going to find prayer like in despicable me did you see despicable me did your kids let, see the story of Gru? and uh you haven't seen that at all my my kids said they saw it okay I, I, a part of so, it yeah so with despicable me who prays 
one of you know one of the the little girl the little orphan girl prays prayer is reserved for the small children the ted baxter type minds um the weirdos or the christian movies where prayer is going to be featured um it's interesting you know that 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 they that the how as you say it's still it seems to me that it still seems to be taboo um you know a, you know the idea of connecting to to god even if it's not in, in in an organized way specifically reaching out to god when when you need him obviously you know it's a wonderful life you know jimmy stewart eventually does pray and it is one of the greatest prayers i think that's ever been put on on celluloid you've seen it's a wonderful life from beginning yeah. to end haven't yeah. you okay so yeah. you know when jimmy stewart finally says you know and you can you can hear his voice cracking and when he prays and of course what he it's funny because he's really praying he's only in an illusion anyway right you know he's really just praying for god you know he he's he, he did you know he Pot, the 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 nightmare of Potterville is not a reality. You know, this is this is this is a vision that he's been able uh, to step into, an alternate universe that he's been able to enter. But he doesn't, you know, the, he, he doesn't need God to do anything, right? Um, and um, I think that uh, you know, it's a wonderful life is definitely, I think, a uh, a place where you know you could turn to to. Think about what does it mean to be at the end of your rope, and to, and to, and to speak to God, and to utter those words. It's not the nusach akela godel agibar vanoira. It's not ashrei, but it's dvar mayitzim and alev. And I, yeah, think... I, I, you know, I remember uh, we with Rabbi Weinberger we watched the Sixth Sense in in Ezra Academy, and how at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the even though it's not set in in a mode of prayer, just the the pasuk is there. Mamakim Krisi Hashem from out of the depths I call unto you, O Lord. It's it's there re- scrawled out on a piece of paper in 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 the beginning of the sixth sense. And I remember Rabbi Weimarger pointing out, look, it's Mamakim Krisi Hashem. I remember, you know that. But but you know, and and it's interesting because you, you you know you, even in movies that have a lot of religious context you don't always have you know we we mentioned uh, earlier the movie heavens above which is a movie about religion and clergy and you don't have this um really expression of prayer or even and we talked about the the pilgrim with charlie chaplin you don't see an expression of prayer you see a sermon sermons come up uh, i think a lot more in movies than than prayers maybe it's because they're more dramatic or but they're obviously in a in an extemp uh in a uh extemporaneous prayer you do have a lot of drama but it's not something you see that much I, or you know one 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 example though is uh the simpsons the very famous <laughs> episode where bart sells his soul to milhouse yes 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 and, bart. And a, a, which is a very deep and a very you know a lot of it's a wonderful uh, episode i've shown it to my students uh uh, a number of times. It's definitely so, so, one of the. So Bart, Bart does about what the Nisham is, yeah. And and it's interesting because it, it's something that even Al Pikabola, you know, that that you know, Lisa tells the Bart, I'm not a theologian, 
but you know some people say you're not born with a soul but you earn it and you you earned your soul through this very sincere prayer and the truth is if you look in the in in the kisviari you do have this idea of that the nefesh ruach neshama are gained at different parts of davening and and you know and, and neshama you say that it's gained through although it's through liturgical prayer there, there is the idea that the neshama is something that it's not something that's uh, that that's essential to the person, but something that's gained. Oh, okay, so what I would say is like this, Yitzchok. I know you love the Simpsons, and I agree. The Simpsons, there's been books written about the the Simpsons putting religion on the map. I think there's been a number of ministers who have talked about God and the Simpsons. God is definitely a, a character in the Simpsons quite often. Homer, of course, you know, um, you know, has a deal with God. Um, and, and prayer does happen, and the Simpsons, you know, I think um... it's an anomaly. And I, I remember that being pointed out. Uh, I, there was a TV show; it was a local TV show, but I think it had some some national acclaim. It was called The God Squad, and it was a, a reform rabbi and a Catholic priest. I think he became a monsignor. The priest passed away from cancer. I don't remember his name, but there was the, the Rabbi Golub. I think was a reform rabbi who from Long Island who who had this TV show and he was lamenting about how you turn on a show like, which I watched when I was a kid, the Saved by the Bell, you don't see them going to church. You don't see them, you know, they, they hang out at the, whereas on the Simpsons, they're, they're at church a lot and, and a regular TV show. Although uh, the Simpsons actually does a lot, you know, you know, to, 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 burst the bubble of Reverend Lovejoy, right? It talks about, you know, showing how, you know, empty many people are at church, you know, and of course, yeah, yeah, we could do a whole program about the religiosity in the Simpsons. I just want to say one thing, that programs, you know, the wishing and souls are, 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 are standard Hollywood and television staple, your soul, right? your soul yeah. like you know i can i can take your soul you sell your soul to the devil or we switch souls right you know your soul goes here right but the idea that the soul is a creation of god who breathed that soul into you and the fact that your soul is your method of connecting to god that is something where you know that's where it's hands off they like you know the idea of a of a of a other otherworldly power that animates you <laughs> all for that so yeah give me your astral self doctor strange that they're happy about but the idea that the neshama is really what allows us to connect to god and it, it it's it's something that you know gives us you know again zombies are great people who come back from the dead yeah that's that's tremendous um you know, uh, devils that, you know, shade him that come in. I think you mentioned to me uh, a while ago, you know, even, you know, <laughs> you know genies are, are, are basically as you are basically shade him that, 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 you know, we love them, but, but, you know, again, there's a, uh, there's a discomfort <laughs> with the idea of praying. And I think that, um, and, and, and even like we said, even even such in this private way. Well, Yitzchak, look, I think we've thrown out enough over here. Except, to, uh... except, uh, I think the one point that we did mention is that when it comes to the horror movies, you know, there is that spiritual element that comes out. You know, there, there's no issue with, you know, scaring away Dracula with the cross. And even even in a science fiction movie, like it's considered, even though it's not really one of my favorites, but it's considered to be one of the greatest of the science fiction genre of the 50s was War of the Worlds. And it ends off with, you know, they're, they're, go, they're going through, he's going from one church to another looking for this woman 
um, uh, you know, and and rec and they recognized that it was pretty much the power of their prayer that saved the world from from the Martians at the end. You know, so there is there it comes up every now and then in places where you don't expect it, and it's uh, you know that's 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 part of the well. Again, you know, we we talk about probably it's time. It was such a um... It was probably one of the most famous films. I mean, it was it was so incredible. Everybody was watching it. Of course, was The Exorcist, which um, you, know, uh, you know, there you have a, you know, a demon that possesses someone, and of course, the you know, he's not the hero, but in a way, um, he is. Right, Father Carrot. What's um, right? There's Father. There's a number of of, of fathers there. Right. He's the the um, what, Again, it's one I never actually saw, but I, I'm familiar with it. I remember reading that the the author of the book that it was based on said he did not consider it to be a horror genre story, but rather a, a spiritual one in a true in a true spiritual religious sense, you know, of uh, expression of faith. And uh, so you know, it's it, and sometimes when people are in trauma i guess to go back to how we started i i i often think about there was a a, a scene on the episode of seinfeld where george is, is sitting with his therapist and he said he tells the therapist god will not let me succeed and the therapist said george i thought you told me you don't believe in god he said well i do for the bad things it's back <laughs> to the whole there's, there's no atheist in a foxhole it, it and and it's unfortunate that's how people you know they associate religion and god with the bad things you know or and it's it's well, not you're, it's uh, it, supposed to be yeah I, look i i think oh, unfortunately our people have been many ways been the skeptics right you know the yeah. you know we've always been the skeptics even in the exorcist uh, there is a character dr klein <laughs> who is the one who's uh, scientifically trying to figure out what's wrong with Regan. And, uh, you know, I think, I think he gets beaten up, I think, by, <laughs> I think well, it's beat, beaten up by Linda Blair. So the point is, yeah, I'll, tell, a, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, you know, I think you, you said, you know, Rabbi Bart Sadok, who, who I met a few times, he told me he, he's, he's actually performed exorcisms. He was, he, he was he got rid of the book given people and 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 it he knows you know the Kabbalah behind it uh Lemaisa, and he's he's involved yeah, in such well things. we can get him let's let's get well, let's yeah, get Robert he, he told me he told me that one time there was a a Jewish you know uh, you know ethnically Jewish atheist psychologist who asked him to perform an exorcism on a patient of his and he said, why, why are you asking me this if you don't really believe in it? And he said, well, he said, I, I think it'll, it, I think it will, you know, help this, this person, you know, psychologically, even though I think it's, it's all nonsense, but it, if this is going to be in her mind, and then the psychologist was shocked to see that this was real, that the, the person's voice actually changed. It was something clearly supernatural was happening right before his yeah, eyes well look i you know it's you know it's like i think you know we can end up with this i think there, there are so many proofs to um the supernatural phenomena uh, you know whether it's you know and, and and there are you know you can debunk only so much of them there's enough indicators of that oilum that we know is whatever as it is what's incredible is despite all the various proofs of it um 
to make that leap beyond um, is still so hard for so many people. And the fear of actually being macabre, that there's not only just that world, but a world that is run by a boy ray, by a creator who is there. And as we said before, as you said so greatly to that Baptist fellow, is there to accept you and accept you lovingly and, and, and can help you, can help you out of any tsar as a rock and a redeemer. That's it, my friends, for about this week, this extra long episode. Um, keep Davin, of course, all the time, not only the 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 the, the three times a day, but also don't be afraid to have your own nishoyos, your own tefillas, your own tefillas and bakoshas, um, uh, Allah Rav Nachman, and, 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 and be inspired, be inspired. Take care, Yitzchak. We'll see you. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.